1: I don't want to go through the whole two times as-salamu telling people to like, you know, raise their voice on the second salaam. So hopefully I get a good salam the first time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So we'd like to get the event started. So before starting the event, um, we would like to ask the Imam of Majid Saliheen to come on the stage and recite a few verses for us, inshaAllah.
2: So I'd like to invite him to the boy. Say, Alaykum. am ready to go. With والليل إِذَا سَجَا مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ the light, وَلَا الْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنَ الْأُولَى with the light, with the ووجدك عائلا فأغنى فأما اليتيم فلا تطهر وأما السائل فلا تنهر وأما بنعمة ربك فحدك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألم نشرح لك صدرك and عنك Lord the the the
1: as alaykum wa wa for that beautiful recitation. With that recitation, I'd like to invite our chaplain for the Queen's College Muslim Student Association to give us and come to the podium and translate the ayahs for us. So, with that being said, Dr.
3: Assalamu alaikum wa The ninety-third chapter of the Quran, Surah and Duha, in the name of God, the most merciful, the most, the most compassionate. By the morning brightness and by the night, when it covers with darkness, your Lord has not forsaken you, nor Has he become displeased? And surely what comes after is better for you than what has gone before. And your Lord is going to give you and you will be satisfied. Did he not find you an orphan and give you refuge? And he found you lost and guided you And he found you poor and made you self sufficient. So as for the orphan, don't oppress him. And for for him who asks, don't repel him. And but as for the favor of your Lord, do announce it. And the second chapter, Imam Read, was the ninety fourth chapter of the Quran in Shra, surah in, in the name of God, the most merciful, the most compassionate. Did we not expand for you your breast and we removed from you your burden which had weighed upon on your back and exalted for you your esteem for indeed with hardship will be ease. Indeed, with hardship will be ease. So when you have finished your duties, then stand up for another and to your Lord direct your longing. Thank you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Dr. Ali, for the translation. And I'm not—I'm pretty sure you guys are not here to hear me speak. So, without further ado, I'd like to invite um, Ali Khan up to the podium for the topic that we have at hand. Assalamu alaikum, rahmatullahi wa
0: barakatuh. How's it going, Queen's College? <laughs> <laughs> Alhamdulillahi لله Alameen, Wa Salatu Wa على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. ثم Alaa بعد فأعوذ
4: بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. and Islamic
0: discussions, that it is a very ilmi, like a knowledge-based approach to the literature uh, and to our sacred text. And it's actually in some sense removed from our personal experience. And sometimes people go through things and emotions in their life, challenges in our personal lives, all of us have them. Every one of us has different sets of challenges with friends and family, especially with family. And you might even, the average Muslim might, might even start thinking like, the Qur'an which is of course dealing with bigger things is probably not dealing with how I'm feeling. It probably is not the place to go to to figure out my emotional issues, my personal issues. The Qur'an can't be that specific. And so that's actually an idea I'd like to counter. And I'd like to to try and present an alternative narrative. That the Qur'an in fact addresses pretty much every dilemma the human being goes through. Every human being goes through either physical, moral, spiritual, internal, psychological crises. And Allah revealed this book to us and the beautiful sunnah of His Messenger wasallam to actually help us navigate these crises because He made us with these emotions. When I was a student of psychology, incidentally I studied psychology here at Queens College many many years ago, and uh, one of my professors, when studying abnormal psychology, even said at the end of one of his lectures, because I was really intrigued, every time he would give a lecture about abnormal psychology, depression, you know, or especially de- depression, anxiety, things like that, I'd have a discussion with him afterwards because of because the parallels I saw with what he was saying and what I've been studying from Qur'an. And in one of his just candid moments after the lecture, he just said, let me pull you to the side, let me tell you something. Human beings are just so... Bl- boop
4: boop boop Flawed
0: That's what he told me And that's actually a pretty good summary Of how western civilization looks at human personality Human beings are essentially flawed right? And let's just try to patch up the, those flaws With pills or you know psychotherapy or whatever One way or another let's patch up this broken human being This broken creature that has so many issues and so many problems Now you might think If you look at the world around you or even at your personal life that yeah, you know what, there seems to be quite a bit of overwhelming evidence that human beings are flawed, that we are broken in many ways, that we have these weird quirks and we can't find the solutions for them. But as a matter of fact, Allah Azza on the contrary, teaches us in the Qur'an that He created us created us in the highest, with the most nobility, and in the best possible upright form. And the interesting word, uh, uh, probably all of you know the ayah, لَتَقْخَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمٍ <laughs> the word taklim deserves a lot of attention because it comes from the origin of the word qama, which means to stand. And taqweem is to make something stand and keep it standing. And it's actually used in uh, when when building structures. It's used when you put structures together that aren't supposed to fall apart. So if your kids are playing with blocks, that's not taklim. Why? Because you can just knock it over. Chances are they themselves will knock it over. But that's that's not taqlim, but a struck a built structure that's not going anywhere is built with taqlim. And taqlim, because it's the no linguistics lesson here, just really quick. Taqlim, what that does in the Arabic language is Allah Azza wa Jalla is taking credit for making us upright, for building us in a firm way. That the human, fo- the, the 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 human being is actually built on very firm foundation, and Allah takes pride in that in the Quran. He takes pride in that. Before he even makes that statement, he he swears, he takes several oaths. what wa Sinin, al Baladil Amin, then in And in that ayah also, خلقنا, you see the, the, the نحن, we created the human being. So after the oaths. The we is not the normal form in the Quran. Actually the huwa, the he is the normal form in the Quran. But when Allah wants our special attention on something, and He says this is this is not just any creation, this is special creation. He'll resort to the first-person plural in the Qur'an, and that's the we. لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا (laughs) الْإِنسَانِ وَلِتَّقْرِيبِ الْإِنسَانِ اَيْبَاً The ulema comment that this is actually to illustrate how close Allah is to the human being. That when He mentions His creation of the human being, He uses the first person. Anybody even with a little bit of rudimentary knowledge of language, knows that the third person is far away, and the first person is obviously close. So when Allah uses the first person when talking about our creation, He's actually from the very beginning, from the act of creation, expressing his closeness to us. And so, that's actually not the topic of my lecture, but I wanted to use that as an introduction, that in our worldview, in the Islamic worldview of dealing with, uh, I mean, what they call is mental illness, right? That's what they call it nowadays. But we don't call it an illness. We don't call it an illness, not from the Islamic point of view. Actually, one day, you people... How many psych students here, by the way? Psychology students? Good, alhamdulillah. Very good. Good to see hands. Mashallah. Keep it up and get a 4.0 GPA. Okay? And pursue your PhDs. And inshallah, study Quran extensively and the COI extensively. Because you will be the people that will develop an alternative view of personality. When you take personality theory courses, and they study behavioral, and you know, the, you know the, 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 all these different like, you know, neurosciences and all of this stuff, to figure out what human personality is, the Qur'an has its own very dynamic picture of what the personality is, and what will heal this human being, and keep this building from falling apart. Now, when you do build a building, when you do build a structure, then naturally everything Allah created on this earth, everything Allah created on this earth, Allah gave it a quality, especially human beings, he says in Surah rahman كُلُّ مَنْ عَلَيْهَا فَانْ Everyone upon this earth, every human being that is, man refers to the living, and includes the jinn also, he uses the word fana, Fan. Fan is something thats meant to die Fan is something that has got a timer on it. In other words, it's winding itself down. See, مَيِّتْ كُلُّ مَنْ عَلَيْهَا مَيِّتْ means everything will die. But كل مَنْ عَلَيْهَا means everything will eventually deteriorate and die. It is meant to wind down. You know, the, the clock is ticking on every one of us. So in a building, just like in a building, there's deterioration happening. But when deterioration happens, you blame the architect. You say, hey, this architect didn't do a good job. Look, the paint's chipping, and the bricks are falling apart, etc., or the plumbing's no good anymore. But actually when the human being starts having issues, That's not because the architect missed something, but by design it was supposed to actually go through certain challenges. That was by design. That was actually put inside the human being. We were not created you know, creatures without challenges. But those challenges, we should not call them flaws. They're actually tests that Allah put inside of us. Emotional ones, physical ones. Those are tests that all of us have to go through. Interestingly, the Arabs, now this is not about Qur'an, this is about Arab society pre-Islam. The Arabs were very... Keen on psychology and emotion They were just weirdly They were really in touch with their emotions With their poetry and their language And like one of the most beautiful expressions I found in Arabic about psychology They say as <laughs> if perhaps uh, words can hurt more than a beating does They understood that words can actually have an impact on Not physically, you're not injured You're not bleeding when somebody says mean things to you But they can tear you down They can make you not want to get up in the morning Words can be enough to make somebody suicidal It happens Words are very powerful weapon. So this is qawlin Nashadul Islam. It was better off you gave me a beating than said those words to me. And I, I'm sure all of you probably have experienced some level of that, like words hurting your emotions, right? So now let's turn to the Qur'an, inshaAllah, and specifically one of those areas, sadness, one of those emotions that obviously troubles every one of us and it's a part of our life. How does the Quran deal with it? First and foremost, and this is again for those of you aspiring to contribute. And this is what all of you should be thinking, especially those that are going into the psychology field. I'll I'll try try to divide my talk here. This introduction was the rant part, so it doesn't count. So now the talk begins, and I'll try to divide it into three parts. My talk into three parts. The first part of it is actually just some areas that are worth exploring, especially for students of psychology, counseling, people that are going to be in the work of maybe helping others, imams in training, imams that have a lot of people with emotional issues coming to them, or you know, if you're going inshallah eventually into the work of youth counseling, or you're in the position where you're offering people advice, things like that, then there, here are some things from the Qur'an that you might want to pay attention to, especially dealing with the subject of sadness and depression. The first word used in the Qur'an for sadness is al gham There are several words used, and the first in the Qur'an we find is al gham Gha'in, Mim, Mim are the root origins. The same word is used, a variation of that word is Ghamam, which actually means clouds in the sky. And if clouds remain, and no sunlight is able to break through, that kind of a cloud is called gama. Sometimes you have clouds that light comes through. Sometimes you have clouds that light is completely blocked. And if that remains for a long time, it can get pretty depressing. If the weather remains cloudy for an extensively long amount of time, and you don't see sunlight, and it gets pretty depressing, which explains the psychological state of most of the people in the United Kingdom, because it's cloudy most of the time, right? But, you know, so... And it's weird, like, you know, like, Seattle has a really, like, weirdly high suicide rate. I'm not saying there's a correlation, but it's always cloudy, (laughs) you know? It's one of the highest suicide rates in America, and even though it's a beautiful state, nature, the, you know, the environment, the architecture, it's a clean city, you know? And it's, but, but regardless, it's got some major, major issues, it's weird. But there is a connection, and it's found in virtually every society. Happiness is associated with a shiny, bright day, and sadness is associated with what? Dark clouds. And even, it makes its way even into literature. So people say things like, you know, there's like a dark cloud overhead. You know? You know, there's like, you know when my, when my, when my husband comes home, it's like a dark cloud over the house. <laughs> or something like that, right? So, this is not just limited to ancient Arab discourse, but they were very human, and there are some things we share with them, right? The idea of brightness and light being associated with happiness. Even nowadays, they have these like multi-million-dollar like uh, pharmaceutical companies that sell antidepressant pills, and they spend millions of dollars in their advertising industry, and they're showing a lady walking in the sun, and when she's depressed, there's a cloud over the sun, and she's sitting there. Do you have bad thoughts? <laughs> Take this pill, and then the quickly inside in the, in the quick credits at the end or the disclaimers at the end uh, might make you suicidal. And then they go, "Yeah, I'm not sad anymore because I'm dead." <laughs> but anyway, so ghamam is actually a state of unrest. Ghamam is a state of unrest. And what's going back to the analogy of the clouds? What that's the, the, the word describes in the Arabic language a kind of sadness. Where the bad thing hasn't happened yet, but you're anticipating it to happen. Because if there's a lot of dark clouds forming, what does that mean for the era? Well, that means maybe a storm is coming, some tornadoes coming, right? People before us were a lot more in touch with nature. We're so into our technology, we don't even look at another person's face. We're just stuck in our phone. But people before looked at the sky all the time. And when they saw a lot of dark clouds, it was like they were anticipating something bad to happen. Lightning strike, thunder, rain, something could, could happen. And in some cases good, but in many cases bad, right? Now, this word is used in the Qur'an in a very particular context. And I'm not here to discuss every context of every word with you, but what I'm here to suggest, is that if a study was made of, for instance, a, a kind of sadness where you're anticipating things to get worse, then the word gham is used. How is it used in the Qur'an? What situations did Allah describe Gham with? And the study of that—how will that help me deal with someone who keeps thinking the future is bleak, who never sees the bright side of things, who's always looking at the glasses half empty? Someone who's pessimistic all the time, negative all the time. Don't look at the person next to you, but like you know, <laughs> but they can have it. Can take, you can have people like that that are always downers. They're never happy. They can't just see something. They can't see the, the, the good side of something. They have to see the bad side of something, right? And that is a particular quality of gham. If you have too much gham, that's the kind of person you become. The next term, very popular term in the Quran, commonly used, is al-huzn. Al-huzn. And the root letters for that are ha, za, and noon And this is for one to remain uh, unhappy or uneasy about something. You're not settled about something. It's keeping you from going to sleep. You keep worrying about something. It's actually the opposite of farah. Farah actually means you can't sleep because you're too happy. That's fine. That's the, it's the exact opposite. Now you can't sleep because you're too sad. You're too depressed. You're too worried. You can't just... You keep thinking about something and it's not letting you go. Maybe you've been looking for a job for a long time. You can't find it. It's all you're thinking about. You're driving, you're thinking about it. Maybe you were you know, about to get married and two months before the marriage, they, you know, the other family said, no, we don't like you anymore. You know, uh And you're in depression. Like I had everything set. You printed the cards. You know... It was up on my Facebook page, and now we have <laughs> you know, what? AliensHara. and and <laughs> paid for one year's hosting on that. <laughs> Where am I gonna find another Saha now? It's, like, it's crazy, but <laughs> but the idea is that it's it's something that is um, that it it sets on you. Huzun the ulama say like Ulama al-nuzar, <huzun> the linguists and the people of lexicons, they say that huzun is an onset. Uh, it's, it sets into a person after an incident. Something happens, and as a result you become depressed. Something was, you were hoping something worked out your way, and it didn't work out your way. Like the old examples you find in the ancient books are like the farmer was looking forward to his crop, and you know, a month before he's gonna harvest, a storm comes and destroys the entire farm. All his hopes are tor- torn down. And his entire year's labor is taken away from him, right? So you have high hopes for something and you're looking forward as something is going to bring you joy and it ends up bringing you a great deal of sadness. Huzn is actually one of the most common words used to describe sadness in the Quran. So it requires a study in and of itself. But one ayah at least deserves our attention. Very beautiful. Allah Azza wa Jal says many, many times in the Quran, لا خوف عليهم. You can finish this one for me. لا خوف عليهم. ولا هم يحزنون. Very common in the Quran. Right? And the, the, the language of this ayah is remarkable, uh, but I'll give you just a little bit of commentary about the commentary about the language of this ayah. the word hum in the ayah is actually an addition. So you don't you can linguistically say walla yahzalun. You can just say but Allah says hum And this is done in the Arabic rhetorical one of the rhetorical devices, the purpose of which is al al to allude to someone who's not there. In other words, Allah is saying, they will have no grief, they will have no fears on them, Judgment Day. Believers will have no fears on them, and it will be they that are in a state of sadness. It's not them that are going to be in a state of sadness. What does that seem to indicate? If it's not them that are in a state of sadness, that means somebody else is going to be. The whom there actually indicates somebody else in between parentheses. That's the beauty of the Arabic language. What we're learning from that is, you will have states of sadness in life, in this world. Huzn will be there. But a perpetual state of sadness is actually not for you. And whatever حُزن you're going through is nothing compared to the حُزن of that day. Whatever grief you're going through, whatever suffering or emotional trauma you're going through, and I'm, I'm not minimizing it in any, in any way, but what Allah is saying is, the حُزن of that day is the actual حُزن. It's the actual حُزن. And it's not like if you feel sad, you must not have good iman. That's not true either. We'll talk about that a little, that'll be my second part. Is it true that if we really had iman, we would never be sad? No, absolutely not. That's not true at all. Prophets experienced a great deal of sadness. Righteous people experienced a great deal of sadness. The Qur'an is full of stories in which one of the central themes is sadness itself. Sadness is a part of life, it's a reality of life. The Qur'an is not there to eliminate sadness. The Qur'an is there to help us navigate it. Because it is one of the tests of life. Just like happiness is one of the tests of life. Just like anger is one of the tests of life. It's not like you can eliminate, eliminate anger. You can't. These are emotions that were programmed inside of us. It's like saying, like you're eliminating one of the things that is inside you, like a limb. These are these are the, the unseen limbs of our of our being, right? These emotions that we have. Quran teaches us to navigate them in a healthy way. We'll talk about that in my second section. So, what was the first word, just to see how bad the attention span is out here? Hold what was the second one? The third word is al-bath. Bath, ba-tha-tha. This is the one that a lot of people have, by the way, in the, in the contemporary sense. Al-bath uh, is a kind of sadness that is deeply penetrated. It's inside a person, and it starts impacting everything that they do, and they don't—they're not able to verbalize it. They're not able to actually say what it is. So they have this deeply felt sadness inside them. It lingers, and it's always there. So even when the moment comes to smile, the face goes halfway up and comes back down. Right? They're not able to maintain happiness for too long. There are moments like the sky's mostly cloudy. Sometimes it's sunny, like that. You know, there are people like that. They're just always—they're moping around. <laughs> You know, they're looking, looking down all the time. And you're like, why are you in that state? It's the closest thing in the Arabic language to the, I guess, you know, perpetual depression. People that are in a state of depression. That's called Bath. bath. Now because depression is such a huge problem in the world today, and the Muslim Ummah is no, expre- no exception. It's a huge problem in the world. This study becomes actually critical for Muslims. Studying, how is buff alleviated in the Qur'an? What did Allah teach us? How do, how do we deal with this form of sadness? So there's sadness from a traumatic incident. There's sadness of, oh, the future looks bleak. There's the sadness that's deep inside and you're not able to get it out. It's like the sickness or this sinus or this like allergy that you just can't get rid of. It's always there. You're always negative. That's buff. And by the way, if you're like, if you're feeling you're the only one who has this, as a matter of fact, this, the, the word بَث occurs in the Qur'an in one of the dua's. That a Prophet of Allah experienced continuous bath and huzn. Innama ashku bathi wa huzni ila Allah. I complain about my bath. I'm not translating now. I'm complaining about. Allah says, He says, this Prophet says, I'm complaining about my bath and my huzn to Allah. To Allah. What does the Za teach us? You can even complain to Allah. Just what that ayah teaches us. I don't complain to anybody else. I talk about my suffering and my pain, you know, and what does a complaining mean? Complaining doesn't mean, yeah, Allah, well, come on. I'm so depressed. Help me out here. No, no, no. You know when you go to the doctor and complain? You don't slap the doctor and say, Hey Bro, bye-bye. you don't talk about it, why did you make me have allergies? You go and complain to the doctor because the complaint is actually a form of you getting his sympathy and his healing. His, his prescription. Just like a child complains to the mother when they're sick. You know? Real complaint or fake complaint. You know, my, my kids, there's flu going around all over the country. You know? Like three of my kids had the flu the last month. You know, So two of the, three girls go to school in the morning, two of them are sick. One of them asks, someone gets out, oh, my stomach hurts, oh, my stomach hurts. The other one's just fine a second ago and she goes, mm, actually, I'm going to oh join my, my stomach hurts? Not a good actor. <laughs> So you have to, I, the next train I was like, you have to hold your stomach, you have to crunch a little bit, you, should have been, you shouldn't have made eye contact, because now you're checking for validation, it's not genuine. If you're going to act, then, you know, come on, just like put a little work into this. And it could have been a lot better. You could have sold this to your mother so much better. You know? You know, I don't tell her that in front of her mother, but on the side, look, you need to work on your, you know, my stomach hurts. You have, to, you have to be a little more genuine. But the idea is, when a child is complaining to the mother, my stomach hurts, the child is not saying, you caused my stomachache. The child is saying, who else am I going to whine to? And when do you whine? You whine when you're with the beloved. You don't whine in front of anybody else. You whine in front of the beloved. In fact, the people that you have a stiff relationship with, when they come and ask you, how's it going? You say, Alhamdulillah, everything's <laughs> good. It's, okay. it's okay. No, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Why? Because they're not close to you. But when you go home to your mother, you know... They say even, they say that in Arabic. They say a man in the house of his mom turns into a baby. <laughs> Big guy. Goes, goes to visit his mother. Goes inside the house. <laughs> turn into somebody else. You're turn into mush. Doesn't matter if you're 40 years old. When you're with your mom, it just comes out. That's what the ayah is teaching us actually. That the prophetic prayer is when that kind of sadness, you you just don't feel like anybody will understand. Nobody will hear what you have to say. Nobody can relate to what your problem is. And at that, the only one you go, you know, the one you can turn to that understands you totally—that's Inna Ma بَثِّي Wa إِلَى اللَّهِ That's for the person who feels like I have nobody to talk to. That that du'a was given such a beautiful gift in the Quran. So we've got three words so far: Dan and Bath. Then there's the word Wa'id, Wa'id, and Wa'id is used to express when someone feels like they're cursed, like they just have bad luck and this is used for oneself and others also when you curse somebody in arabic don't do it but i'm saying when a person curses someone in arabic and wishes the worst upon them they say waylak waylak okay and wayli is also ya is also used ya means or ya ya there's several variations of it those variations mean i feel like i am damned i'm cursed that everything i do turns to poison nothing i do works out you don't have any confidence left in anything coming, you know, bearing its fruits. You don't feel like anything you do will change the situation. You become hopeless. And you're utterly hopeless, and at that point you feel like there is no good fortune coming my way, there is no help, There's no hal. have been good fortune. is not coming my way, and that's when you feel weighed. Weight well, is also used for shock, but it's also used for that kind of sentiment. That I'm, I'm suffering from weight, I'm cursed, I'm damned. And this is one of the worst words of the Arabic language. It's actually one of the words describing a place in hellfire. Which is interesting, right? Because Allah is describing hellfire with something that's also used to describe psychological torture. Right? He's describing hellfire with a word that's actually not physically painful, but it's actually you know, emotionally painful. And that's, it makes you understand, when you're sitting in a psychology class, and Psych 101, your professor says, you know, sometimes psychological pain is more painful than physical pain. You know, and you're like, really? I don't know. I'd rather feel sad than get my arm chopped off. You have an experience. You possibly wail and thank Allah for it. Then you understand the old, you know, age-old saying that I was referring to al in the bin Salim. So weight is a very deep level of sadness. And it's uh, when when a person feels like they're cursed and there's no good coming in their way. A modern manifestation of that that I've personally seen through emails that I just simply can't answer because emails are not a way to give people psychological advice. (laughs) It's dangerous actually. You don't even know who's messing with you on the other side of that screen. But... um, one of the common manifestations of this I feel is I made a mistake in my life and I feel like Allah has cursed me and nothing good ever happens I lost my job, this happened, that happened, that happened And I, th- I really think that Allah doesn't like me anymore And I'm not, not only will I have a miserable life, I'm just gonna probably burn in hell anyway etc etc This person just de- develops this like I am cursed mentality Even if they don't say the word cursed Everything they say sounds like they are convinced That they are somehow cursed, you know? And that's a very, very powerful uh, and very dangerous state for uh, us to be and may Allah protect us from it. Then there's asaf. There's asaf. You know, in the Arabic when you say, I'm sorry, you say, أنا آسف أو أنا متأسف جدا. Uh, actually, some argue that the root origin of this word is not even Arabic, it's actually Hebrew. Uh, and it's one of the derivatives from which we get the name Yusuf Salam, Which is close to Yusuf, which means he was given sadness. Because his, if you study the story of Yusuf Ali, it has very sad turns one after the other: a child separated from a parent, an innocent man imprisoned. In you know, there are several occasions of very, very sad instances in his life. You know, and so, and, and so, he's, he's, his uh, name itself, they say, is derived from that word. But let's talk a little bit about Asif. This actually means uh, a kind of sadness that eventually turns into other negative emotions. That's what I meant by the, the Arabs were really in touch with their feelings. Huh? They didn't just have a word for sadness, they kind of categorized it. right? So this word asaf actually means when sadness, that emotion of sadness, turns into something else. Like for example, you're upset about something, you're, 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 you're upset about, maybe you got a bad grade, right? you took an exam midterm, you crammed as much as you could, but you were half asleep when you were taking the test, you got a 40 on your test, and then you come out and you're extra mean and snappy with your friend. Then you're experiencing asaf because the sadness from one thing is translating into anger in other things. And this word is actually a pretty good indication of how we we, we you know substitute or project or are you giving me a lifestyle quick? Okay. You're trying to help me out here? Okay. Because if somebody's in here they're trying to get out. I mean I keep on kicking them in, but I don't know how much longer I can keep the president of the other's MSA in here. Okay, so so anyhow. What was I saying? Something about happiness? What was it?
4: About failing at the end.
0: No, the was about Adam Hanis. And then you take the anger from one
4: thing and you What was the word?
0: Asaf. Asaf. Very good. Very good. Asaf. Asaf is the sadness where you displace your emotions into something else. Usually anger. Usually it comes out in the form of anger. So I'm on the phone and I'm driving home, hands free. And I'm on the phone driving home, and somebody calls and says, you know the contract we agreed to, and the payment you said, uh, uh, we accepted the payment, but we're not sending you the goods. And I'm upset. I'm upset. And when I get home, you know, first kid that runs and tackles me, I say, where's your homework? (laughs) I just displaced my upset from outside, from the car, to the home. This is a form, this is asab. And actually, interestingly enough, this is the word used when Musa salam came down from speaking to Allah and his people were worshipping the cow, the calf. And he spoke with who? Who did he have a yelling at? <laughs> Harun Allah says when he came, he came Habbana. he came angry Asafan. Asafan. Which means he was going to take that anger and what? Displace it. And what do you find in the story? He grabs his brother's head. He grabs it, it kind of turned that, that, that anger, or that, that sadness actually got displaced to something else. And that's a phenomenon Qur'an deals with. Then of course the final one is Al-Asha. Asha, the root letters for that are Hamza, Sin, and Alif. Or Ya, you can say it's a Ya. And this is regret really. Regret or sadness over an opportunity that was lost. Or an opportunity that was, I could have done that. Oh, I didn't do it. Didn't worry. You're looking back and you keep beating yourself up over what you could have done and you was right there if you just did it ah things could have been so much better why didn't I take that opportunity <laughs> a lot of times you know uh, 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 you know people uh, when they email they email me especially with the subject heading being sadness or depression or something usually has to do with relationships you know I oh, those a sister I wanted to marry her. And I should have proposed that Then she married someone else And, oh, and I'm, I'm sad every day And I keep thinking about How I should have got the guts And talked to her dad And I didn't do it Blah 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 This is an asa. an asa But it's also a kind of sadness That's not just on opportunities lost But it's also a kind of sadness that is uh, That expresses When you did something bad in your past And you feel like that bad deed you did Whatever it is Don't tell me Whatever it is is going to affect negatively everything you do in your future. Like your mistake from the past is going to negatively affect everything you do in your future. This word is al-asad. This is also used in the Qur'an. And this word, it's it's important for Muslims to understand because we're living in a time where the opportunity to do really bad things very, very easily has been made convenient. So we can do pretty bad things, spiritually speaking, to ourselves and damage our souls with very little effort. And when that happens then we, become, we get into a state of depression. What kind of scum am I? To the world, the world thinks I'm Muslim, but look at me on the inside, look at the kinds of stuff I'm up to, how can I even live with myself? And there's this regret over your what you've committed in the past, and what most people do when they don't know how to deal with this, is they look at their past mistake, and they define themselves with their past mistake. What I mean by that is, I messed up, that must mean, I messed up in the past, which must mean I am messed up. There's a difference between I messed up and I am messed up. When people mess up, that doesn't mean they are messed up. That just means they messed up in the past. That is no guarantee that they will mess up in the future until they convince themselves that they are in fact messed up. The only one who can mess you up is your own conviction. Allah Azza wa Jalla built you with taqweem You could get hit, that building could get hit, it could get rattled, but you can fix the damage and maintain the building. Or you could say, let it get hit some more until the building collapses. Then don't blame the architect. And don't blame the architect, that's you, you brought that on yourself. You cannot live with that kind of constant negative being brought back over and over and over again. There are mother-in-laws, especially in Desi culture, that relive sad incidents in the past or they don't let their daughter-in-law's, or the daughter-in-law doesn't let the mother-in-law, or the father doesn't let the son or daughter, they don't let them get over what happened. Just get over it, move on with life. They can't do it. They have to bring it up. It happened 20 years ago, let it go. No, you did not get married without permission, therefore, it just makes me sad. But it's over, you cried about this for three weeks already. Remember all those tears? Remember all those those dishes you broke? We, We did that already. Now I have children, and those children are gonna get married. And you're still not coming to the wedding because of what happened for those, that like 30 years ago. You're making yourself miserable, people around you miserable, because of Asa, because you can't let go of the past. And you're letting it cloud the rest of your future. Allah Azza wa Jal did not want us to have a heavy life, or to have a heart filled with sadness. Actually, one of the descriptions of a heart that's full of Iman, a beautiful description in the Quran is, قلب Salim. قلب Salim, So beautiful The word Salim in the Arabic You know one of its meanings? Healthy One of the meanings of Salim is Healthy Allah wants to The believer that comes to Allah on judgment day Successfully Allah says "Illa مَنْ أَطَى اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٍ Except for the one who comes to Allah With a healthy heart A sound heart A heart that is free from damage Meaning emotionally you're sound Not just in terms of your iman But these emotions have an effect on our iman Fear, anger, depression, grief, all these things are directly related to our iman. And that's my next conversation with you. I shared a few Qur'anic words with you. There are actually more, but these are the words that become the subject of somebody's study when they're trying to understand this emotion from the Qur'an's point of view. And it's really a wealth of wisdom for our for bettering our living. And inshallah, one of you is going to do your PhD on this. And publish it, and then you can you know, make a dua for me on the first page or something. Okay. Alright, so now, let's, this is my second section, um, uh, I think I'm organized. But uh, the second section is, uh, different cases in the Qur'an where Allah describes in fact that sadness is a reality. And, you're not, and therefore you're not any less of a person for experiencing sadness. Iman, having good Iman, having strong faith does not mean you're guaranteed happiness. That's not, those are not equivalents, in this world at least. This is a world of difficulty, of challenges, and of trial. So for instance, Ibrahim a.s. as a young man experiences the trauma of being expelled from his own house. That's traumatic, being kicked out of your home by your father, right? And being, you know, having to leave your entire village, entire family. And then you have Yusuf a.s. who's being betrayed by his own older brothers. What's a little kid do? He wants to be like his older brothers. He wants to play with his older brothers. If you're the older brother, you know, you always want to play with your older brother's toys. There's an attachment to the older sibling. Younger girls, they want to dress, they want to take, they, they, take the older sister's clothes. She always mad at the younger sister. You always take my clothes. You always take my shoes. Don't to touch the stuff. Go on. You know. And the younger one will not want something until what? The older one has it. Has no interest in it until the older one touches it. Why? Because Allah put that affi- affiliation. And that, that you want to be like them. You idolize them. You, you, you try to talk like them. You want to be friends with their friends. You don't want to have your own. You, wanna, you always come into the room and they're hanging out with their friends. Cool, these are my friend. No, I want to hang out with them too. <laughs> and they won't tell you they want to be just like you, but that's what it is. They, they idolize you. They look up to you, especially of the same gender. But this child is betrayed by those he looks up to? That's traumatic. That's really sad. And then from the very beginning we learned this child has such a close relationship with his dad that he's even telling him what the... You're gonna try it again? Try it again. That guy won't quit. Probably from Baruch College.
3: <laughs>
0: I went to Baruch. <laughs> okay. So if you have... You know, with, with Yusuf alayhi salam, he was so close to his dad, that he even told him what his... Like he even, uh, like, uh, you know, talked to his dad about what he dreamt. It's not, a, it's not an easy thing for a child to feel comfortable enough, and so close to your father, you don't even tell your dad what happened at school, or what actually happened. You're actually sitting there talking to your dad about what happened in your dream. That's a real closeness between father and son. And the father's actually carefully listening. That's the other crazy thing he is. Really attentively listening to the dream described by his child. I have conducted that experiment in my home. Did you have a dream? Yeah. It was a banana. I was trying to eat meat. (laughs) <laughs> and then what happened? <laughs> you know, I'm It's not a spiritual experience. It's not a real start. So I commend Yaqub alayhi salam for listening to a child's dream. You know, the sun and the moon were doing sajda to me. Uh-huh. Oh, like, you know? Aha.
4: <laughs>
0: and is, I mean we read the stories and we move on, but that you know that closest and then this child is stripped from his child from his father. There, there's the sadness of the father. There's the sadness of the son. And there's one thing to know your son died. was one thing to know your son died. It's another to not even know what happened. To not even know what happened. It, that's traumatizing. That's traumatizing. I can tell you, I have, I have felt sadness in my life that I have never experienced in my life until after becoming a parent. When your child is sick, and when your child is shivering from a fever, and they're helpless, and you can do nothing about that except call Allah, and this child is holding on to you, and they're shivering like this, you know, and they want to take a food, and they hold the food in their hand, they, they don't even have the strength to keep their hands stable, it will tear your heart from the inside. It will tear you up from the inside. You cannot experience that kind of sadness. But that's a result of love. Love will bring about a lot of sadness. It comes with the territory. Okay? Okay? Because we care about the ones we love and when they suffer, we suffer equally if not more. even Sometimes even more. So this is, you know, in the case of Yusuf and his brothers, Musa and his nation. His nation caused him so much pain. And these are just some examples. You know, the Prophet and Quraysh. The Prophet and his uncle, neighbor, family, his own uncle, next door neighbor. What kind of guy... I mean, I, I talked about this when I was discussing the Dawson Surah al which is gonna be the last part of my talk to you today. Right? What kind of a guy, uncle, not distant, but uncle, celebrates when his next door neighbor, who's his nephew, just lost a baby. The baby just died in the house of Muhammad ﷺ. And Abu Lahab goes out celebrating, making noise. That Muhammad will not have a son. His name will not carry on. Hooray! And they didn't have roofs on the houses back then. So it's like your guy you're in the backyard and your neighbor's just got a backyard and he comes out and he screams, Can you hear it? Yeah. That's gonna hurt your own uncle celebrating the death of your child. That that's the what the Prophet felt. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Any human being that I mean, even enemies put their weapons down when they hear, the general on the other side just lost a baby. They're like, look, my, you're my enemy, I want to cut your throat, but I'm going to let you give you a day to grieve, because I I feel that pain. I'm going to let you, it's an honor among enemies even. He didn't even have that. That's the kind of sadness. And you know why that story is important? Because it's teaching us, sometimes the most painful blows, and the most traumatic sadness you will experience in your life, will be from family. There will not be some stranger that will cause you sadness. It will be people that are closest to you because they have such close access to your heart. So when they can mess up, they can really mess you up. Parents can mess you up. Children can mess you up. Husband and wife can mess you up. Uncles can mess you up. Cousins can mess you up. Those people that we love the most can also hurt us the most. And that's something that's not unique to you. The Prophet himself, wasallam, experienced these things in the most horrendous way. And there's a reason Allah put that stuff in the Qur'an for us. Because we we don't feel like we're the only ones dealing with this stuff. We're not. This this has been dealt with before. These situations have occurred before. Then, you know, Adam alayhi salam and his sadness. His sadness with Allah. Has Allah forgiven me or not? I mean, I was in Jannah just a couple of minutes ago, and now I'm where? On the earth. Kind of wandering around, figuring out what to do. Last thing I know, Allah was not happy with me. I did something I shouldn't have done. Are people in that position ever? That they did something they shouldn't have done, and then life gets, takes a bad turn, and they start thinking, maybe I've done something wrong? That's a study of Adam alayhi salam's situation. He was in that situation. How do I know if Allah has forgiven me or not? And Allah gave him a gift. You know, people come and ask, how do you know if Allah has forgiven you? How did Adam know if Allah has forgiven him? He didn't. Then Allah gave him a gift. Allah gave Adam alayhi salam a gift. He say, he, Allah says, you know... Um, Uh, Allah gave, brought Adam into contact He brought him into contact with words And then accepted his repentance Right, and in that surah, in Baqarah Allah didn't even tell what those words were He didn't even say what they were He just said, Adam was brought into contact with words from his master And as a result of those words Therefore, he accepted his repentance Meaning if you guys could have access to those words you guys, I mean, Adam A.S. messed up pretty bad. That's, that's pretty bad. And even he, he's given these, these incredible words, and he used them sincerely, and then Allah forgave him. So when somebody asks, how do I know if Allah has forgiven me? I say, well, you know, we are children of Adam, so we did inherit the gift. <laughs> I mean, this is passed down, gifts are passed down in inheritance, right? And there's one thing that you don't have to share in an inheritance and divvy up is wisdom. Wisdom is passed down 100%. Not by like property. Property has to be divided. <laughs> Money has to be divided. But wisdom you can deliver 100% to the next generation. What did we get in inheritance that we can know that Allah has forgiven us? <laughs> that dua is an inherited dua to know that you've been forgiven.
2: That's a very powerful thing
0: to know. You know, to, to answer that very deep and very sad, very heavy question. Then of course, Nuh and his spouse, his son, his son caused him grief. How many parents come up to me, my son causes me so much grief. I love him so much but he makes me so sad. Before I came here, before I came to the city, some parent called me and said, my son has caused me so much grief, I've done everything I can for this boy, and he has continually caused me grief. What do I do about it? Can you talk to him? Can you do something for him? It's like, I said, all I can do, I, I'm, no, I'm nobody. I can't even help my own family members or myself. Well, what am I gonna do? All I can do is remind. That's all I can do. That's all mm-hmm. any of us can ever do. Change comes from Allah جل, you know. And so, and, and of course, Lut alayhi salam and how terrible he felt. Man, the, you know, talk about bad moods. You know, when the the English expression, "Man, I was in a bad mood." I was in a bad mood. That expression is actually only used for Lut alayhi salam when the angels showed up to destroy the nation. Okay, see abihim. وَدَاقَ بِهِمْ ذَرْعًا دَاقَ بِهِمْ He just felt bad. He saw the angels and he's like, oh, God. He just felt so terrible. And there are reasons he felt that way, because they came in the form of good-looking men. Right? And he, oh, this is trouble. And he was just really upset. Well, how am I going to handle this? You know? SubhanAllah. The last bit I want to share with you before I move to my next section, inshallah, and then I conclude. Is uh, one of the great expressions of sadness in the Quran. I actually use this just humorously, I used it with my students the other day. My students get a lot of exams. I give a lot of tough exams. And every time I announce, okay, there's a big one tomorrow. No. <sighs> you know? But we just had one yesterday. No, no, we're having another one tomorrow. Come on. I was like, let me tell you something. So the Battle of Uhud. <laughs> There you go, he's going to religiously justify the intent again. <laughs> but in the battle of Uhud, the Muslims suffered tremendously. There was the sadness of the, the, the lack of discipline. There was the sadness of the loss of strategic, Muslim, very important Muslim leaders, 70 of them. There was the sadness of the alleged, the rumor spreading that the Prophet's been killed. There was, this there was the sadness of him losing his tooth and actually falling unconscious. There was the humiliating sadness of the Muslims having to retreat up a mountain. There were sadnesses piled one on top of the other. And things weren't looking like they were getting any better. Which kind of sadness is it when things don't look like they're going to get better? Which one is it? Oh, oh, this was your test. And you have unfortunately, come on, give me, give me. Brothers, things aren't going to get better. Ram, ram. Clouds ain't going away Bad things are gonna happen Allah says I, I hit you I targeted you with gham after gham I targeted you with gham upon gham upon gham upon gham upon gham Why? So you stop worrying so much So you, you stop worrying about what you lose you start becoming sad. That's so the other word for sadness is used now. Right? I so said to, to look back and regret. Oh man, this bad thing happens. Which means the next bad thing will happen. Which means there's a domino effect. Allah says, I gave you so much calamity so you'll learn. So you'll learn. Not to think that the next the next thing is going to be bad also. Why? Because, and I this is how I explain it, when somebody has one problem, they're depressed. When they have two problems, they're even more depressed. When they have 200 problems, they just go. <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. Though. It's all good, homie. <laughs> Once you get that many problems, ain't no problem. Whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Allah says, I hit you with so many problems, so you stop worrying about your problems. So you realize you're not in control. Allah is. And just chill out. Stop trying to control everything. SubhanAllah. <laughs> so, this is one of the last things I wanted to uh, to share with you. Now, my final section of uh, this, this discussion. And that is. I mean, personally, even though there's more elaborate descriptions and divisions made by scholars, classical scholars, uh, of sadness, uh, I would like to describe or divide, generally speaking, the emotion of sadness into three categories. There's sadness that you brought upon yourself as a result of something you've done. It's it's your fault. And you know that. That's sadness you brought upon yourself. Then there's sadness brought upon you by others. Something they said, something they did, something, you know, something they... Uh, some, somehow they had an effect on you, and they have brought sadness upon you. And the third circumstance of sadness is a sadness that's a result of a circumstance, you can't even blame a person. It could be something like a car accident, it could be like an earthquake, it could be anything. You know, it could be a sickness, it could be whatever, and these kinds of... In, so there are these three circumstances. In the first circumstance, the first circumstance, what was it again? What was the first circumstance? Something you've done yourself And you're depressed about something you did A lot of people have that My recommendation is to you, for you to carefully study The dua made by Musa And you'll notice as I, as I talk You'll notice that I keep trying to illustrate to you The talk, the subject of my talk was The Qur'an's remedy for sadness There's not one There are thousands of remedies in the Qur'an for sadness But I keep alluding to the fact that Every time I get close to talking about a solution What comes up? Dua Every time I start talking about a solution, what comes up again? Dua comes up. Adam was sad, what did Allah give him? Allah gave him a dua. Uh, you know, you have um, Ilyas really just in, in, in a state of depression, sadness, and he says, I will only complain to Allah Azzelah. Right. So you have these prophetic situations and they all turn into du'as. Now this du'a is which Prophet? When you made a mistake yourself? Musa Alayhi salam, I'm sure you've done some pretty bad things, but I'm pretty sure you didn't punch a guy and he died. I, I, don't raise your hand, please. There's police here, just, just relax, okay. <laughs> they're, not, they're not here, you're not here. Okay. So, Musa Alayhi salam has done this really bad mistake. And he's, now you know, those kinds of mistakes can haunt you for life. You know, soldiers come back from the battlefield having killed innocent people and they end up committing suicide. Really, they're broken psychologically because of the atrocities they have committed. They, they, they relive those moments over and over again. When you've done something wrong, you are one of the victims. You're not just the criminal, You actually, Allah makes you suffer internally for that. You pay the price. But even if it was an honest mistake in the case of Musa alayhi salam, he had that, that guilt of taking another life. It's not something easy to swallow, it doesn't leave you alone. But Allah gave him, inspired him with this beautiful du'a. That is actually the key to moving on with life. If you made a mistake and you don't know how to move on with life, learn from the dua of Musa as-Salam. Master, no doubt about it. Me, whatever good you send my way, I am desperately in need. My back is broken. I am not capable. Whatever good you send my way, I can use it. Let me explain what what we mean by good here. Good means two things. Ya Allah, give me good opportunities in life. Ya Allah, don't let the mistake I made make the rest of my du- my life a bad you know, experience. Don't give me sadness after sadness after sadness. Give me positive experiences and good opportunities in life. By the way, right after that dua Abu Sali got a job in the next
4: ayah. <laughs> right, he
0: made that dua. Next ayah he got hired. And married. It's <laughs> pretty awesome. And, and and that next ayah starts with a fa, which means therefore. Therefore, the girl came, called him to the dad, he told the story, she said, I'd like to, you know, let's hire him, and, you know, the whole thing worked out. But all is a result of his du'a. What we're learning, that, that because that will find the ayah in Surah Al-Qasas, is that du'as can have a serious impact on your, the rest of your life. Where am I going to find a job? I'm homeless, I'm a fugitive from the law, I ran away from Egypt, I don't even know my way around here, I'm just sitting by a puddle of water. You know, I don't even, my shoes are torn up, my clothes are beat up, I'm sitting under a tree, I don't even know if this tree belongs to someone that kicks me out of here. Next thing, I just, yeah, Allah sent some good my way, boom, got a job, married a girl, moved in, 8 year visa, set. <laughs> everything, set. really, ayat, you got an 8 year visa to live in Madian. You know, housing, everything paid, covered. It was sweet. And what a, what a job interview, it was a side note, but what a job interview. He goes to the, the, the girl's father and he says, I killed someone, I run away from there, I'm homeless right now. And two minutes later he's saying, you should marry my daughter and you should live here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that just proves Allah makes things happen. You don't make the rishta happen. <laughs> right? But anyhow, so that's for you. I, the other meaning of khayr. That's one meaning of khayr. Good th- bring good things in my life but the other meaning of khaydah that's more relevant to our conversation here. If you have made a mistake in your past, if you've made a major mistake in your past, then the only way to move on is to become desperate, desperate to do good deeds. He's asking Allah, Master, whatever opportunity you give me to do good, I will jump on it. I am bankrupt. Like someone bankrupt jumping towards a coin, I will jump towards a good deed. Helping someone, doing something good. Master, just give me the chance, I will do it. I have hurt another human being, I will spend the rest of my life helping human beings. This dua he made right after he helped a couple of girls get some uh, food for, or some, some water for their animals. Then he sat down and said, Ya Allah, any other voluntary deed, help hook me up. If you need me volunteer for anything else, I'm available. Because I know what I've done in my past, and I know the only way I will know that you have given, you have blessed me in my life is if you give me opportunity to do good deeds. If you've done messed up things in the past, the way you compensate for that is you go out of your way to do what? Good things. And the lesson in Surah Al-Qasas is the number one kind of good thing is not make more salah or make more du'a. That's standard anyway. You have to do that anyway. Help people. Do good things for people. Mend relations. You know, visit the sick. Take care of your parents. Visit your grandparents. Talk to the cousin that you hate. Send them a gift. That stuff. That's what he... Because he did good for these girls. He didn't go and, you know, do the ibadah and then say, Ya Allah, forgive me. Actually, he just helped these girls and saw that helping them is actually my, my healing. Me moving on with life. That's how he saw it, Okay? So that's... When you make a personal mistake Now I told you there are three kinds of sadness that I divided There was sadness brought on you by yourself There was sadness from what? <laughs> sadness brought upon you by other people You know, in the case of uh, one of the great examples Musa A.S. is such a hero in the Quran, really I mean, I even made friends with a rabbi Because I'm so in love with Musa salam. <laughs> really, I, made, <laughs> I have a rabbi friend in Dallas I hang out with him talking about Musa A.S. <laughs> yeah because I mean Allah was talking to Jews so much in the quran and they had, obviously had some background information when they were listening so I want to know that background information so I say so, so what do you believe about musa what was going on and we have some really interesting conversations the rabbi and I. some good stuff you know uh, we mostly disagree just so you know <laughs> we mostly disagree I don't know what our first conversation was so how did Moses get revelation said. He goes, well, you know, he was uh, herding his sheep and uh, he saw a fire on a mountain. I was like, cool. Was he by himself? He goes, yeah. I was like, ah, ah he was with his family. <laughs> 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 he said, his family, says, unless you're considering his sheep, his family, no. He had a family. And by the way, since just because I'm talking to the rabbi at a kosher restaurant, I was like, by the way, they were Arab. Because <laughs> <laughs> he married, buddy, he married Arab. And they admit that. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> at least they admit that. <laughs> so, Moses' kids were half Arab. It's cool. Um, but anyhow, coming back to Musa alayhi salam, when others cause you pain, when he finally, when others, his nation has caused him so much pain. So much pain. And the only one really willing to listen to him or anything he has to say is his own brother. That's all he's got really. So he turns to Allah and says, I have no control over anybody except my own brother and myself. Myself and my brother. That's all I can control. <laughs> ya yeah, Allah, just can you divorce us from these other people? I can't deal with them anymore. This is not for family. Don't make Ya Allah, my mother-in-law. You move her to another state.
4: <laughs>
0: ya yeah, Allah, if she can just move to Atlanta, It would be so much better for us. No, 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 no. This is about other people, not family. There's no escape from family. Ain't no escape. Prophets, are they cannot depart from the family until God's commandment comes. Nuh salam has to stick with his family until Allah tells him to leave. Ibrahim salam continues to pray for his father until Allah tells him When stop. When a mother came up to me and said, my son is such a... Disappointment, one of my kids memorized Qur'an Did this, this, this The other one drinks and he clubs And I he, I don't even think he's my son anymore I don't consider him my son This he had, you know Ask him out And that sort of him, do you, how do you say it? Well you know, Ibrahim Alayhi salam, He left his father And Ruh Alayhi Allah told him it's not your family I was like, Allah told you it's not his family or Ruh Alayhi salam. And after how many hundreds of years have you lived That you get to apply the fatwa of Ruh Alayhi yourself Watch it lady That's still your son. You can call him whatever you want, but he's still your son. You can't can't break family ties. But you can pray to Allah to separate you from those who are not family that are causing you a lot of grief. It could be your employer causes you a lot of grief. It could be, Allah, get me a job where I don't have to suffer through this. That's fine. If Musa Salam has a right to ask that, you have a right to ask that. That's fine. There are some people you just can't get along with. They're just there to cause you grief. And you pray to Allah to... Help you get away from those kinds of people. Keep you keep you away from them, and you know, and that, that's perfectly fine. But when it when it comes to family, it's not about Ya Allah, get me away from them. Ya Allah, make our relations better. Ya هبلنا من قرّة Master, make us a, you know, grant us from our children and our spouses what, what cools our eyes, what cools our eyes. And qurra also means in the Arabic language something you can't something that's stationary. So I can't take my eyes off of them. I love them so much I don't want to look away. I love them so much I don't want to hang out. And when you call mom you say, Mom, I gotta go. And you just can't wait to hang out. Okay, are we done? Are we done? Okay, can I come back? Can you play back? I'm on the other line. I'm really not, but I'm on the other
4: line.
0: <laughs> that sort of thing, that just means Qurat A'yun is not there yet. You can't wait to see them. That's not the case. That's not just not the case. You know? That's the dua we make for family, that those those tensions they go away. Now, um, the last kind of trauma was what? The last kind of sadness. Caused by? You see, for most people, when trauma is caused by circumstance, sickness, death of a loved one, things you can't control, right? You know what people do? They have asaf. They have a great deal of sadness that transforms into rage, and usually that rage is then directed towards Allah. In that kind of situation, the people of weak faith... They look at that situation and then they turn their rage towards Allah. And they say, why did Allah let this happen to me? Why is Allah doing this to me? Why I deserve better? How could he do that? How could he call himself merciful and loving and caring? And he could do this to me. You know, this this is a very common phenomenon nowadays. This third type of sadness. That people suffer and then they blame Allah. People have bad experiences and then they blame Allah. You know, the only people who can do that are people who don't know who Allah is. You had a long-distance relationship with Allah, and you made a lot of assumptions about Him. And I've come to learn that about relationships in general, not just with Allah. When you have a friend that you talk to every day, you're on the same page. When you don't talk to them for three, four, five months, then you start making assumptions about how they think, or what they think of you. It just happens. When you have a distant relationship, you have a lot more misunderstanding. And when they even if they call you once in a while, you misinterpret what they say. Why? Because you're not in constant contact. You're not constantly speaking with someone, there's more and more misunderstandings. When we're not in constant communication with Allah, we start developing really, really weird opinions about Allah. <coughs> really weak opinions about Allah and what He means to us and how much He cares about us. And then we fulfil what Allah says. And you know, Allah il a hadith qudsi I am as my slave assumes me to be me to be. If he assumes that I don't care, then I'll fulfil it. If he assumes that I love, I'll fulfil that. If he assumes that I will provide, then I will provide. You give an attitude to Allah, Allah will reciprocate that attitude. So your life will get worse if you have a bad opinion of Allah. And you brought that on yourself. Because Allah says, I will give you based on your attitude towards me. Your your attitude will determine how who I am to you. You know, who is Allah to me depends on me. Because of that promise of the, of the hadith. The word, now finally, the remedies themselves. I've talked about the different kinds of sadness, and this is in my last section, I promise. I'm in that last section. And I want to start this section with one of Allah's most beautiful names, Ar-Rahman. Ar-Rahman comes from the Arabic word, Rahma. Commonly translated as? Mercy, I don't agree with that translation. Much at all, it's actually problematic on many, accounts, many fronts. One of the fronts it's problematic on is, mercy is used when you're spared. Like, the soldiers showed him mercy. What does that mean? They didn't kill him. When you're playing a game of tag, you ever ever play the game mercy, even? What does somebody say, mercy? Spare me. When the wrestler is holding the guy up in the air, and the guy looks at him and knocks on his head, and goes, hey, 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 mercy. What's he asking for? To be spared, mercy is used in context where something bad is about to happen and then it stops from happening. Thanks for showing me mercy. Sparing someone. So when we think of Allah as merciful, at least in the English language, right? Merciful, we cannot have that connotation. We cannot think, oh bad things were gonna happen, Allah decided not to punish us. No 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 no. Actually the word rahmah in Arabic comes from rahm. And rahm means the belly of the mother when she's pregnant, the womb of the mother. And the Rahm is actually in a hadith, the Rahm is tied to Rahmah. That Allah says the closest, the way you will understand what Rahmah is, is that you will reflect upon what the womb of the mother is. That will give you some idea what Rahmah is. And then you might begin to understand what Ar-Rahman is. Who Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Ar-Rahman that we call on, who that is. The rahm of the mother, the womb of the mother, all of us were in it at one point in our existence. Did we have to worry about food, shelter, clothing, Were all of our needs, needs taken care of? If there was a problem, who dealt with the problem? The mother did. This womb was, this, our, was our world, and we were wrapped in care and in love. And we offered nothing but grief to the one holding us. The mother is caused pain by this child. She almost dies giving birth to this child. There is no other scenario in human existence where someone who almost kills you gets all of your love. You should be at least mad at the baby. You know, it just almost killed me. You know how much I bled for you? You know, at least be mad at the kid. But the mother sees him and does what? Oh, my baby. It was worth it. This baby, even when it's inside, the mother is stretching, he's pulling at her ribs, he's kicking, and all kinds of things, he's making her throw up, everything tastes like paper, you know. <laughs> she can't go to the bathroom easily, she can't sleep, this side the back hurt, that side the ribs are. he's constantly in pain. And yet, all she has for the child is love. Actually, one of the core meanings of rahmah is someone who wraps you in his care, Because of, motivated by what emotion, by what sentiment? Someone who surrounds you in their care because of love. And no one does that more than Allah. He surrounds us in His care out of His love. That's Ar-Rahman. Now if you knew who that is, then you wouldn't be talking about Allah a certain way. You wouldn't be talking about Allah. That's because you cannot compare creation to Allah. What your mother did for you in your belly cannot even be compared to what Allah is doing for you all the time. You can't even compare the two. That's who Allah is to us, Al Rahman. So that's the first remedy in the Quran. The names of Allah and of them, Al Rahman, the one we invoke all the time, the one we call on all the time. The second example that I want to share with you, wallahi, this is one of the most powerful examples of you know dealing with this subject in the entire Quran. Musa alayhi salam helped his people escape Egypt. You know that, right? How are you guys doing on attention span? You guys okay? You guys alright? Okay. Alright. If you're not doing okay, just continue sleeping, that's fine. Alright. So, Musa alayhi just helped, by Allah's permission, his nation escape Egypt. <coughs> These people have been in slavery for quite some time. Slavery a happy time or a sad time? Sad time. What adds to that sadness, what adds to that sadness, is that they, they the, the people that are walking across the body of water, have living memory of babies being slaughtered in front of their eyes, their own. Their own children not just dying, being murdered. Is that a memory that just disappears? No. There is, even though they have escaped the clutches of their these people have lived a life of undis- indescribable sadness. It's not just the loss of a child, it's the loss of thousands of children in front of the eyes of the parents at the hands of merciless soldiers. This is a, this was a policy of Egypt. So you have a bunch of grieving parents that are escaping you know, Egypt. A bunch of grieving parents. And Musa has helped them escape. Now they're on the other side. Has the sadness disappeared? No. Now Musa is going to give them a khutbah. Now you would think in this khutbah, he's going to tell them to be patient. Because when someone is sad, what do we usually tell them? Be patient. Nobody ever tells you how. Everybody says be patient. Patience is a goal. There's no how to patience. You get there. You can't just say, oh, be patient, okay. Mm." (laughs) Patient. got it. Can't do that. Still not coming, still not coming. You have to do certain other things that get you to patience. Patience is not something you can just do. It is, it is, it's an acquired power. It's an acquired you know, power. It's not something that's in, innate inside of us. It has to be nurtured, built. So the question in this khutbah, what I feel, is that Allah gave us the key to nurture patients. As a matter of fact, they're out in the middle of the desert, they don't have food supplies, and there's the sadness and trauma of that terrible history that they've lived. And yet Allah عز جل, through the mouths of Muslims, Musa, Musa has them to this khutbah, وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمْ شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ Your master said, if you could just be grateful even a little bit, he would absolutely, absolutely guarantee, he said, I will absolutely, absolutely, I guarantee I will increase for you. I will give you more and more and more and more and more. What did he bring up? What thing should you do? Be patient? No, be what? Be grateful. How are you telling the people that live nothing but misery? They have lived nothing but misery. And you're getting up on the nimble and you're telling them you need to be what? Grateful. grateful. You need to be grateful. This is the key remedy to sadness. The change of thought. Instead of thinking about patience, because patience means you're thinking about the trouble you had, and now you're being patient over it. The messenger Musa Alayhi salam, changed the mindset of the entire people, said, He's saying, they don't think about the sad things that have happened in your life. You need to focus on the good things that have happened in your life. And when you focus on the good things that have happened in your life, who will you give credit to? Allah Azza wa Jalla, and that will make you grateful. And when you become grateful, what becomes easy? Patience becomes easy. When gratitude is not there, patience is impossible. Why, why do our ulama call sabr and shukr two wings of a bird? Bird can't fly with one wing. Why do they call it that? There's a reason. Because without gratitude, these people can't move on with their life. And what a beautiful thing. Allah Azza said in that ayah, if you were just to be grateful, I promise, I swear to it. And if is used, And the strongest form of the verb is used. And Allah normally does not use ay in the Quran. That's even more rare than nakhmah. It's the rarest form. But He says to them, if you could even show me one ounce of gratitude, al-maadī, the in even if you did that that I guarantee over and over again, over and over again, over and over again, I will increase you. Now the question arises, when you say to somebody, hey, I want to increase you. Does that make any sense to you? What do you mean? You want to increase me in terms of weight, (laughs) knowledge, wisdom, patience, crime? What do you want to increase me in? Money? I'm interested in that one. You know? Allah azza wa says in the ayah to the to, through the khutbah of musa salam. Allah says, "If you were only to be grateful, even the least bit, I will absolutely increase all of you." The question he didn't answer is, "In what?" Zada yazidu har al This verb needs a, needs a distinction, like we say, Rabbi Zidni, what?" <laughs> not Ya Allah increase me weight? No, no, no. <laughs> Knowledge, increase me in knowledge In this ayah Allah promises I will increase you He doesn't say in what? He doesn't say in what? You know why? Because every one of you needs increase in some other thing And He says whatever you need I will increase I will not limit my increase to you Some of you, I will increase you in children Some of you, I will increase you in patience Some of you, I will increase you in strength In knowledge, in riz, in provision, in happiness You know, I will increase you in whatever you need increase in because sadness is a... Something is depleted, right? <laughs> Something's missing. I'll increase it. I'll fill it up for you. You just have to be grateful. مِنَّ عَذَابِ Subhanallah. <laughs> and if you were to be grateful, ungrateful, Allah does not answer actually the, the you know, conditional statements in Arabic. You know how in, in English you say if-then statements? If you do this, then this will happen? So if you're grateful, then I'll increase you. Right? But if you're ungrateful, Allah didn't put the then. That's a the mercy of Allah. If you're ungrateful, dot, dot, dot.
4: <laughs>
0: he didn't put a then. That's His mercy. That's actually, if the, you can't be grateful for anything else, be grateful He didn't fulfill that. He just started a new sentence, in adabi la shadid Didn't say, Fa inna adabi la shadeed. Wa lalqal, Fa inna adabi la jawab If He said, Fa inna adabi la in that ayah, that you're going to get punished. Allah didn't put a fa there. Every letter in the Quran Allah, like, every letter. is just incredible. Last remedy. Last and it's on the same note. And I, I'm gonna try to make this as brief as possible. I told you one of the most traumatic experiences emotionally in the Prophet's life وسلم, is the loss of a beloved son. What adds to the misery of this event is of course Abu Lahab and his wife. Thus all of this is happening. And two surahs are revealed. Surah al which probably all of you are familiar with. But interestingly, and more importantly, Surah Al-Kawthar. Surah Al-Kawthar is revealed. And Surah al doesn't even address what the Prophet lost. And we all know what the Prophet lost, from alayhi It's hard to stop thinking about it. It's hard. You know? And Allah Azza wa Jalla says, إِنَّا We gave you كَوْثَر. We gave you Al-Kawthar. Here you are thinking about what you just lost, and Allah is changing your thoughts entirely and making you think about what Allah just gave you. This is the ultimate remedy of sadness. You just think to yourself, Allah has given me a lot. Allah is telling His Messenger, in the hardest of times, I have given you the ultimate abundance. What more could you possibly do? Al-Kawthar, you can't have more mula than that. Al-Kawthar. One of the rarest forms of the Arabic language. You can't have more than that. Some say it's the Qur'an, I'm giving you Qur'an, why are you sad? How? What, treasure, what could you possibly be missing in life once you have my book, my word? The Prophet has told ﷺ. Qur'an itself, itself is the remedy for sadness. When Allah is speaking, when Allah is speaking to you and me, that is a remedy of sadness. What more can we ask for? And then Allah, and by the way, when you become grateful, what's the show of gratitude? The show of gratitude is salat. <laughs> and what's the show of celebration? Slaughtering an animal. Party. One how? sacrifice an animal. Don't even worry about your enemy. Inna Your enemy, I'll deal with him. You'll just worry about praying and focus on the good I've given you. Just think about that. And your sadness will go away the Muslims will have to learn these remedies from the Qur'an. These are not gonna come to you, these, I can talk about this, but it's not gonna stick with you. What will stick with you is your relationship with the Qur'an. And when Allah removes your sadness from the Qur'an, when you personally become, like you have a, a, an emotional attachment to this word, to the word of Allah, when that happens for you, you, can, you will not be overwhelmed by sadness. Sadness will come and Allah will take it away. Then it will come and Allah will take it away again. And it will come and Allah will take it away again. It's not like when Allah said to the Prophet ﷺ, إِنَّا عَتَيْنَاكَ He never experienced sadness again. He did, but Allah kept taking it away, and taking it away, and taking it away. So the Qur'an itself is a remedy. And if you have a distant relationship with the Qur'an, I don't know, then maybe some pills. <laughs> try try the the people who don't believe in Allah. You know? the people of ya'is, the people of hopelessness, people that don't have any hope. Those people can resort to any measure, any measure they want, to to get rid of their sadness. You know what people do to get rid of their sadness nowadays? They play video games. That's what they do. They they shoot drugs. You know, they smoke weed. They take hallucinogens. They drink. They go to clubs. So they can listen to brain-numbing music all night. So they don't have to actually think about how miserable their life is. Even if they're gonna throw up the entire next day, it doesn't matter. Because at least now they don't have to deal with their sadness. Their sadness is eating away at them. It's eating away at them. And Allah Azza wa gave us a solution for all the forms of sadness in His book. If we just asked Allah for it, if we just did, we'd be a happy people. I tell you, the world could use the optimism the Qur'an has to offer. It really does but the world will not see it until we exhibit it. Why would anybody be curious about the Qur'an if the people of the Qur'an are all this frowning? Honest to God. I lived in New York a long time. I went to high school here. I left here, what, four or five years ago. I didn't know that there was such a thing as Muslims just normally smiling. That was a new experience for me when I left here. That wasn't the norm. Guys, what is with it? Everybody else in the city is miserable and they have plenty of reasons to be. The smog, the pushing around in the subway, everybody else trying to cut you off, people need the parking meter and whatever. You got all the reasons to be upset. It's cool. But you're Muslims. You're supposed to exhibit a happiness, a joy in your lives just because you're Muslim. And people should be like, why well, are you happy? <laughs> well, you know, la <laughs> the Takes care of all my problems just takes care of my problems. That's what you're supposed to exhibit. May Allah Azza wa make us... And I don't want to sound upset when I tell you you shouldn't be upset, because that kind of beats the purpose. But be happy. There's so many reasons to be happy. We have so many reasons to be grateful to Allah. We live in a fantastic time. We are living, I believe, and I'm done in one minute exactly, inshaAllah. We are on the verge of a major Islamic renaissance in the world, and we have the opportunity to be in the driver's seat. Muslim youth in North America have the opportunity to be the driver's seat of a worldwide Islamic renaissance. A cultural one, an intellectual one, a moral one. We are at the lowest, you can't go lower, basically. So the only way to look up now is what? There's only, you know, there's only, the only place to look is high is to look up. There's a lot of potential here. I, I, I told you guys, I travel all over the country. You know what you guys have unique in New York? What you have that nobody else has? Power and numbers there's more Muslim youth here that for some reason are religious, or religiously motivated. It is unprecedented anywhere else in the country. It is unprecedented. You guys have issues. I'm not saying you don't. You guys have issues. And not for a reason.
4: <laughs>
0: but you also have remarkable potential. My goodness, the potential here is unparalleled. I used to think America is, I don't know, maybe like the Muslims in Europe, like maybe London. I've been to London a couple of times. not you guys have a major advantage. Major advantage. So many students going to university and trying to learn their religion and trying to give the world Islam. you guys are at the, at the helm of a major renaissance. You are. You just have to think big. You have to think big and you have to be optimistic. That you have to be grateful Allah put you in this position. What are you gonna do with it? What are you, absolutely, what are you going to do with that, inshallah wa ta'ala? May Allah not make us a people that are overwhelmed by sadness. May Allah let us all be ones that are healed by the sadness, or the, the remedies to sadness that He offers in His book. May Allah Azza wa make our salawat, our prayers, our recitation of the Qur'an And our learning and our, and our brotherhood among each other and our, and our sincere counsel to one another A means by which mended hearts or broken hearts are healed May Allah Azza wa make our masajid and our communities and our MSAs a place Where brotherhood and tolerance and understanding And good feelings towards each other are fostered And jealousy and ill feelings and anger and suspicion and hatred are removed that may Allah Azza wa Jal make us a people that become an example for everyone else in the world. That this is this is what beautiful. That's this is how Islam makes life beautiful, and this is what makes Muslims beautiful. Barakallahu lakum fil Quran al Hakim wa nafani wa iyaakum al ayati wa al Hakim. I sincerely apologize for taking so so long today, but if you guys have any questions, which I'm sure you do not, I will, I'll try to address them for you. Barakallahu
1: So I'm sure you guys, um, basically the procedure we're going to have for QA and a is that you raise your hand, we have volunteers going around handing out the index cards and pens, so you raise your hand, they're going to give you an index card, they're going to give you a pen, you give the index card back to them and they'll bring it up here to us. So with that being said, while you guys are writing your questions and while you guys are getting the cards and stuff, um, I have a few announcements to make. <coughs> And I really appreciate some people actually this time came up to us beforehand to ask us about the, if, if we can give these announcements. Usually we're just told last minute. Oh, can you do this announcement? Can you do this announcement? It was way more organized this time. So Turning Point for Women and Families is having their fifth annual leadership program next month. So, and please listen to this very carefully because I think this is very important for Muslim Sisters especially. Their program is called Mecca to Manhattan. Muslim moving Muslim women moving mountains. It's a it's an eight week workshop series for Muslim girls ages 13 to 20. They'll feature different Muslim professional women every week, and this is a unique opportunity for Muslim girls to relive the legacy of Muslim women as leaders of their society. The space is extremely limited, and the deadline to apply is actually tonight. So you can contact Sister Maha Akhtar. So if she could like raise her hand or something. Right there in the corner, Sister Maha Aftar is right there. So she's organizing this, she's she's taking charge of this. So if you guys want to apply for this, if you are interested, go to her and speak to her, Inshallah. Another announcement that we have is that we have events coming up. Is that we have events com- uh, coming up, more events from QC MSA. One event is a leadership workshop. The title is, Are you ready? ready to lead with a question mark? A lot of times what we see is in my experience with the MSA, is that we have hundreds and hundreds of volunteers, literally hundreds of volunteers, but nobody is really there to take an initiative, to lead them, to organize them, to, to be there, to support them. So you can have a hundred volunteers, but if there's no leaders there, it's not really going to work. So we have a workshop, Muhammad Abbas is going to be the speaker, it's going to be February 13th. Guys, please, can you keep it down a little bit? The event is not ended yet, guys. So if you want to leave, do quietly, please. So there's a lot of people here. If you make a lot of noise, it's it's going to be... If everybody starts to make noise, it's going to get really loud in here. So February 13th will be our leadership workshop. It's going to be from 12.15, 12.15 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. If you guys are available, please do come by. There's going to be free food, and Muhammad Abbas is going to be the speaker. Like I said, we need leaders in our community. We do have a lot of volunteers, but we have no leaders. Of a lot of volunteers without a leader It doesn't really work out <clears throat> And with that being said Brother Noah uh, is going to be at Jamaica Muslim Center tomorrow He extended his stay, alhamdulillah In New York, so he's going to be in Jamaica Muslim Center The event will be at 7 o'clock And it will be until 10.30pm tomorrow Tomorrow at J- Jamaica Muslim Center 7pm to 10.30pm Right? Good Right. So with that being said, if you guys have any, I I haven't seen any cards come up here. I'm assuming his lecture was extremely great. Usually, what happens if there's no questions is either the lecture was extremely great or like nobody understood anything. I hope it's not the second one and I hope it's the first one. So questions, please come on, guys. Try to bring them up so Brother Naman could uh, read these these questions. You can, you guys can leave them on the table. Another thing is like There's a lot of people in here Especially sisters Especially sisters with children So those young people I guess who can stand for a little bit Let the sisters with children Sit on the on the chairs There's a lot of uh, I guess elders I don't want to say old people They might get offended Elders sitting, standing up If you could switch You know There's a lot of space over here too If you guys could move up a little bit So there's a lot of people at the doorway Move up Please could you guys move up a little bit So that people inside can come in Um, And with that being said After I'll invite uh, Brother Ramon up to the stage By thanking the volunteers We can do this quietly guys We can really do this quietly I'm pretty
4: sure I'd
1: like to thank the volunteers That um, helped make this happen Um, And I know I say Like weird things sometimes But I'm just gonna keep it Um Thank you very much. JazakAllah khair. Last time what we did was we had everybody say JazakAllah khair at once. I think I'm going to try it again because it's going to be pretty cool for a thousand people saying JazakAllah khair at once. So this is going to be for the volunteers. We're going to say JazakAllah khair, guys. So 3, 2, 1. Okay, JazakAllah I'm going to start.
2: Okay,
0: I agree that we have many motivated students with lots of potential, but as you may be aware, New York Police Department spying on Muslim students has placed much fear and suspicion in our hearts. To so further our aspiration, how do you suggest we deal with these situations? You don't deal with them, just don't do anything shady and you'll be fine. <laughs> in Your opinion, what is the best way to convince someone that there is a God? You don't convince anyone there's a God that's already there. What you can't, when when you start going into the scientific or the logical or this or that, then it just becomes an endless uh, debate. But you can do, debates are bad always. They're always a bad idea. There's rarely an occasion where debates are a good idea. Uh, And that's not to be, never confuse debating with da'wah, because that's not da'wah. Da'wah by definition means invitation. You don't invite someone to your house and debate with them. So there's two different things. Uh, However, there are some good books that I recommend for people that are having... Um, you know, agnosticism, atheism, that type of tendency. Uh, there's a book, I think it's available on Amazon now. Uh, it's called uh, God, Islam, and the Skeptic Mind. God, Islam, and the Skeptic Mind. I believe the author is Sayyid, Sayyid, Fayyid or Sayyid Fayyid I think it's a brilliant work, the professor, he's a professor of anthropology, a Muslim professor of anthropology, that traveled all over the Muslim world, and did interviews with Muslim youth, uh, who were having agnostic types of issues, and ethical issues with Islam. And he outlined them and dealt with them in easy language, uh, even though he has a pretty extensive background in theology and in the philosophical arguments for Islam. So I think it's a good resource for Muslims or even non-Muslims that are having that sort of issue. Um, uh, question: What is the get? I love this word. What is the way to get married right now? <laughs> 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 Brothers, silence is not
4: acceptance.
0: Uh, uh, I, I I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. go yeah. I can't even. Don't like try to go with torn clothes, sit under a tree, and like make me. He up. They the Somebody will show up and offer you a job and That's not gonna happen. Um, but yeah, it was a great question though. I'm gonna frame that. One. Okay. How can I ask, how or when should I ask for dua all the time? All the, especially in sajda, that's a great time. Uh, you know, before breaking fast, that's a great time too. Since complaining is allowed, are there any etiquettes to whom I complain? I, look, look, let's just categorize complaining. That's an important question. Uh, let's break complaining into two parts. Okay, Complaining as in criticizing and complaining as in you know, uh, uh, seeking desperately for help. Right? And this, the latter is and not only permissible It's actually a beautiful thing It's a show of love to Allah Ya Allah, i got this problem I don't know who else to turn to You're the only one who can help me You're still complaining But you're actually pleading more than complaining Okay. But complaining as in Come on, Ya Allah, how come I didn't get a raise? What's that about? I thought you are like a razzit How <laughs> could brother operate? I can't get married right now
4: <laughs>
0: that is not a lie That's, that's not healthy. That's actually the that, That's uh, uh, complaining that, that first, The first ba- The bad type of complaining Is actually the opposite of being grateful And being grateful Is at the core of our religion Like we are If we are to be defined with certain qualities the, One of the first qualities we have Is we are a grateful people that's what we are. So if you're, and we're in a consumer society where the cool thing to do is critique things, right? So we we're constantly in a mode of complaining. You're com- you're, and you're rating things, and you're, which means you're complaining about them. So you're rating movies, or you're rating the new phone that came out, or you're complaining about the operating system, or you're complaining about this car, or you're complaining about the government, or you're complaining about your friends, or what they said, just constant complaints. Or you're complaining with your comments under a YouTube video. Or whatever. Like if you're complaining, and that's that's uh, uh, that state, it keeps you from being a grateful person. So that's not a healthy road to go down. And unfortunately, that's very common among us. Um, what's the stance of Islam when it comes to music? Is it? I mean, is it permissible to compose, sing music without portraying anything un-Islamic? Thank you for telling us your name. I will not mention your name. Um, I will not answer that question because I'm not qualified. I can't answer fifth question. Uh, you have to ask a fatih. Uh What book did you study? Oh, Nahu book. All right. God? <laughs> but anyway, what Nahu book did you study? Uh, several. Um, I studied Nahu sort of an untraditional way with my teacher. And then I, I studied Nahu al-Wadiq. I'm also very impressed with the Nahu works of Dr. Fadl Saleh Qasim al-Rahi, his PhD thesis, Al-Ghalaqa and and al-Zamafshari, Al-Jumlaq al-Arabiya, uh, Binayat al-Kalima. Uh, Bina'atul Laf. he has got several pieces. Uh, and all of them are very powerful, very beneficial works. Uh, there's actually Ustad Abdul Ghani from the Muslim Center, the Imam of the Muslim Center, gave me a gift a long time ago, which helped solidify my foundation in Arabic. It's called Al-Mu'in, Al-Qawahidi, Wal-I'raad. I think it's published out of Lebanon. Good, uh, excellent book. Uh, there's, in Canada, there's a bookstore. I don't know, I keep getting these gifts, so I don't really know where you, I can tell you to buy them. But there's a there's a dictionary of the Qur'an, Arabic to Arabic, called Al-Qutuf. And Al-Qutuf at the end, the last section of Al-Qutuf is actually the grammatical implications of certain words and structures. It's a really comprehensive index. But my favorite book on Arabic grammar of all time, by far, is actually in Urdu. It's called qawaiyad De zabanek quran it's in two volumes, about 2,000 pages altogether. It's the ultimate encyclopedia of Arabic grammar, and it is a, just a work of beauty. And it was done by an uncle in Canada, who moved to Islamabad, May you Allah will know, protect him. Um, why did Maryam wish that she never existed when she was sad? She was more you know, distressed when she was sad and those were word, words of desperation. And when people are desperate, they say things and these words are captured in the Quran to just illustrate how human people are. You know, when people are in that kind of situation, they say, I wish I never existed. This is actually similar to even... Uh, and this is by the way, it's, it's tied more to her humiliation when she goes back and what people are gonna say. And similarly, the humiliation that Abu Bakr Siddiq was afraid of when he would stand in front of Allah, made him wish he was a blade of grass. Which is the same as saying he wishes he didn't exist. But that did not mean she had suicidal thoughts. She just, this was her way of saying, I wish I didn't have to face people. I wish I didn't have to face this circumstance. It's so overwhelming for her. Um, um, My wife doesn't pray and spends most of the time trying to planned fashion shows and girl parties as her husband. This gets me sad, which turns into anger. He advised both of us. Uh, you guys need to see a counselor. <laughs> not a joke. You guys need to see a counselor. This is not resolved in the QA session. You guys need to, if you're not compatible and it's not working, then you, and obviously there's love in every marriage, and you have to do everything to make a marriage work. And it's not just about what's religious and not religious, it's about making both people emotionally happy with each other, counseling is sometimes the only option. Uh, And I know we think counseling is taboo and people that are sick in the head need counseling. That is not true. Seeking counseling is actually a sunnah of the Prophet so it's not beneath any of us. The Prophet had an argument. He had an argument with Aisha Anha, and they couldn't resolve it. So she said, we need a counselor. And he said, okay, who who do you recommend? She goes, you pick. And so he said, okay, let's get Zubaiid. And she said, no, he loves you too much. <laughs> like you can't have Zubaih. So he said, okay, let's pick your dad, Abu Bakr. She said, Fine. <laughs> so he came. And they started telling and so he said, you know, uh he said to Ajala, why don't you start? Why don't you tell him what happened? And she goes, No, I want you to start and I don't want to make sure you get it right. <laughs> Look, he's the Rasulullah. But he's a husband at the, in the house. You're like, how could she say that? He's a wife. This is a very family situation. These are human beings. So she says that. And Abu Bakr Siddiq is not... He's, he cannot take the Abu Bakr hat off. Right? He's not a father-in-law ever anymore. He's basically only the the, the right hand of the Messenger So he sees his daughter speak like that to the Rasool of Allah, He tries to grab her neck and... Sh- and strangle her, you speak to so lot this way, and the Prophet had to break it up, and kick him out of the house and say, okay, we, we can handle this ourselves. <laughs> and, and, and the problem disappeared after that. But the point of it is, even the, the counselor to humanity said, we should get a counselor. The counselor to humanity said, we should get a marriage counselor. What is that telling you? It's not beneath you. It's not humiliating, it's not embarrassing. And I, I urge some of, the, some of you young men and women that are going into the psychology field, Pursue counseling. It's a dire need of the Ummah. It's a dire need. Youth counseling, marriage counseling, and study it from the Islamic perspective, inshallah. By the time you guys graduate and get your higher credentials, hopefully institutions for learning that stuff from the Islamic perspective will be in place. And I I pray for that, because we have to develop those institutions. Anyhow, could you come to my school? Please email me. (laughs) No. Sorry, I can't. I can't come to your school. I can't even go to my kid's school. <laughs> is there available discussion or are there resources beneficial for you that want to be leaders? Um, you shouldn't want to be a leader. You should just have qualities of leaders. And then leadership just comes. So wanting leadership is not a good good thing. But, but there are plenty of things you can learn uh, uh, that can instill good leadership qualities in you. Um, uh, actually, the Imam of our masjid, Imam Zia from, from Irving, Texas, wrote a thesis on leadership in Islam. Pretty cool book. Uh, qualities of Leadership, Best Practices for leader, Muslim Leaders. In any, any capacity. I did a series, I think it's up on YouTube. It's on our podcast too. It's called When Muslims Work Together. And it's an outline for Muslims to be able to do organizational work and get good leading this too. When you come into Brooklyn College, I don't know. <laughs> is there any example in the Qur'an and Sunnah about two... to potential getting married and then things not working out. Actually, the only... Yeah, uh, but things not working out, uh, the examples are the wife of Nuh, the wife of Nuh, uh, Fir'aun's wife wouldn't work out. Yeah, that was was kind of obvious there. Uh, There are actually also really evil couples that worked out, like Abu Lahab and his wife worked out pretty well, but they're working out in in, in Jahannam now, so that's okay. That's cool too. Uh, There's actually a marriage... uh, The marriage of Zaid, uh, which is described in Surah Al-Ahzab, Surah number 33, the only companion mentioned by name, who married a good woman, a good sahabiyah, but he came from a different class of society, and she was from a different class of society, and they had different cultural background and different lifestyle that even happened in the sahaba's times. So it didn't work out at the end, and he kept begging the Prophet to let him divorce his wife, but the Prophet kept turning him down. Because it was the Prophet recommendation that they should get married, which is another awesome lesson. Just because a shaykh recommended somebody, doesn't mean it's gonna work out. You can't blame the Sheikh later. The Prophet recommended this marriage, but didn't it didn't work out in the end. <clears throat> she just couldn't couldn't reconcile the two different lifestyles, even though they're both Sahabis and they're both great. Just because you're good Muslims doesn't mean you're compatible either. That's the other cool thing here, right? He has a lot of Taqwa, that doesn't mean it's gonna work out for you. You can still hate his guts. Or not like him, or whatever. It can, it can still happen. So uh, spirituality and compatibility are two different things. right? So there's, there's the example of that also in the Qur'an. Uh, the only marriage proposal process in the Qur'an, the only one, is how Musa got married. It's a great story. Uh, one of my favorites to tell in, in the Qur'an. Inshallah, I'll come back soon and tell you that. Um, it's, it's, it's really remarkable. Just the de- details in there on how the marriage takes place marriage process which so many of you have trouble with the Quran has pretty amazing insight into that subject through the story of Musa and how he got married Uh, what type of sadness was exhibited when the Prophet almost divorced his wife that's the sadness when you suffer sadness from others at the behest of others it's disappointment also and this is a part of Qusr that you you can have that um is there a specific reason why Allah chose to reveal the Quran in Arabic to the Arabs? Yes, there is, but this is not the lecture for that conversation. Uh, where can you find those du'as from Musa alayhi salam? That's a good question. Surah Al-Ma'idah will, find, uh, will have those du'as for you. Surah Al-Qasas, you know the one about moving on with life? Okay, okay. Surah Al-Ma'idah, 5th Surah, 28th Surah. How about that? Is that easier? Yeah, and, and so the is really long So you'll have fun looking for it And so the is says Only 10 minutes so You'll find it easy. So the Qasa, 28 Salam, brother This is Bilal from Bayshore Bilal? <laughs> Welcome back, thanks You define Rahma beautifully How can we Translate it in words Other than mercy I don't know That's why I had to explain it For 20 minutes, bro <laughs> so You say love Yeah, it includes love um, or does that just imply mawadda? Yeah, love does imply mawadda that hope. Uh, but even hope is such a cool word in Arabic. You know hope actually means to fill a container? Actually literally means, Habba, Old Arabic means to fill a container. Also means a seed, because a seed grows into something. Love is defined as something that grows. As something that fills you. Beautiful. Anyhow, and some say it comes from Farsi. Some say the word hook and everything comes from party. It's a really interesting word. Uh, what is the solution for brothers and sisters that have Haram relationships? The solution is to have halal. <laughs> 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 Dude. Okay, okay, I'll just be upfront with you. This is not a relationship session, but I'll just say a one-liner. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. If you like the girl and you're talking to her and you feel bad about it, if you don't have the guts to go talk to her father about it, leave it alone and walk away. But if you really love her then you'll have you'll man up and you'll tell your parents and you'll tell her parents and it, it's a yay or a nay and you move on with life don't string her along and ruin her life and your own don't do that to yourself don't do that to her if you love her then you wouldn't want to cause her that kind of suffering later on and that humiliation to her family so please man up okay man up. <laughs> Don't text him right now. <laughs> you heard that? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yeah, you guys weird relationship problems, man. this guy just called me randomly, brother. There's this girl in college. I really love her. Okay. Now what? I want to marry her. Okay. But the other day she told me that she's considering someone. What should I do? I'm so sad. <laughs> okay, uh, she's considering someone. So what, if it works out, it works out. Good for her. If not, then are you ready to talk to your parents? No, no, they'll kill me. <laughs> well, then go in a corner and cry when you're ready to grow up and then, then call me back. Well, can't you talk to your parents about it. You're crying to me. Does, I love this one. Does qasida Buddha contain shit? <laughs> so, so awesome. No, I now I know I'm in New York. Now I know I'm in New York. Very nice. I, I, I was talking something about qasida Buddha or any such literature. It's, it's You will find in these things what you're looking for. You will find in them what you're looking for. So for instance, in, in, in other poetry, I don't know specifically the qasida Buddha. in other poetry the Prophet is spoken to in the second person. Right? and some consider this a form of shit because is he alive or not and all of that. Or if, you know, some, sometimes in the praise of the Prophet it said, who will save us on Judgment Day if not you? Right? And what, what people perceive that to mean is, well you're asking them, the Rasul to save you instead of Allah to save you on Judgment Day? But this is actually a matter of literary perspective. The, the writer may well have intended that he's depicting a scene on Judgment Day and Allah refuses the shafa'ah of every messenger and the only shafa'ah he accepts is Abdullah Rasul وسلم, and the poet is trying to depict that scene when the Muslims desperately are saying, you're the only hope we have left. Every other prophet is saying, nafsi, nafsi and that's what he intended. But then later on when that literature is misread or read with not a good insight into the literature, then yeah, people can have weird interpretations or opinions of it. So, yeah, it's, you're going to get out of this what you what you put in. You know, these kinds of things. That's why my recommendation is, and also Abdu'l-Nuwan said, let me just tell you, let me tell you what he said about, you know, he I have issues. Because now I can discredit him because he said something about Qasiyah Abdullah that I wanted to hear or I didn't want to hear. He can't please people. <laughs> Pleasing people is a canyon, the bottom of which is not found. So, you know what? Stick to Allah's book, you'll be happy. That's good enough for you. Can you please restore... Restate the name of the surah. You stated in the section about Musa al I talked about it from several surahs, but I did emphasize surah uh, al-Qasas, surah al-Qasas, and some things from surah al-Na'idah, uh, especially the ayah when he gave the khutbah to his people. Okay? There's a lot of questions here. Could you come to my school, please, I did this? <laughs> Sister's pile. Just- oh, no. <laughs> When family members are acting in an extremely negative manner, even dangerous towards one, uh, okay? How can that act after years of patience and pain? How can one act, I guess? Um, look, uh, abuse is abuse. And Islam does not tell you to be patient against abuse. If you're being abused, then you have to take action and do something about it. It doesn't matter if it's from your parents, or from your husband, or from your wife, you have to take action. You have to protect yourself. It's a matter of sometimes protecting children. You have to do whatever it takes to protect the children. Safety comes first. And if, it, if there are situations of danger, then don't say there's a religious verdict or you're not a good Muslim. If you, did, you know, if you spoke up about it or you tried to do something about it, there's no such thing. That's entirely bogus. It's entirely bogus. There's no such thing. You know, there's, you know there, it's, it's dumb that you might think that some, some wife is being beat by her husband and she goes to the Imam, and the Imam says, well, you know, it's just ibadah for you, you should just have sadaq. No, no, that is not this religion. I don't know what religion that is, but it's not Islam. It's not Islam. We have no tolerance in our religion for abuse. There is none. The words of the Prophet ﷺ against abusers are very harsh. The Prophet ﷺ wouldn't even tolerate abuse against an animal. <coughs> Rasulullah said, cursed the one who, he saw the smack mark on a donkey, and he said to Allah, curse the one who did this. He couldn't stand he, an animal being slapped on the face. An animal being slapped on the face. It's not something that we take lightly. And, and it, it, that's physical abuse. It's not a joking matter. Seek help. Seek, go to, and even if it's a non-Muslim are you gonna to go to the Kufar for help? Yes, go to the kuffar for help, and Muslims aren't helping you. And if there are professionals are helping you, then seek the help. Seek the hotlines. If you can find a Muslim counselor, well, and good. But protect yourself, protect your children, and do not allow abuse in a family, and don't let it go quiet. Don't let it go quiet. It is not something we can tolerate at all. This is the kind of thing that destroys a society from within when it's not addressed. Um, it's, it's hard. Why did Musa alayhi kill, and why? That's a story to be told. That's a long one. But it's a really fantastic story. Uh, I can't tell you now. But take me out uh, would you say there's a need for Islamic counselors? No, you should have said Did you say there's a need for Islamic counselors? Because I did <laughs> How would one go about this? By studying counseling I believe western uh, sciences and, uh, Psychology and counseling uh, Have a lot to offer in this area And Islamic counseling Is not only really coming to light There are very very few institutions Like there's a uh, No no relation to you know, Bayan Institute uh, That's not out in California, that's offering a two years Islamic counseling program. Uh, it's a, sort of like a master's degree, so that's a good opportunity. I believe Hartford Seminary had some counseling also, uh, which is I, I don't know if Professor Ingrid Bassett is it there any longer or not, but they have a lot of counseling for, you know courses for Muslims, especially you know addressed towards imams and things like that. So there are opportunities like that available to you. Uh, if a spouse is abusive, do we make dua to stay with him with them or du'a to leave them? This is not, not a matter of dua, it's a matter of action, sister. If, I, and I don't know how you define abusive. But if your husband's abusive, he, he has, you have no reason to be with him. And I'm not telling you to go get divorced, because I don't know what you mean by abuse. He's like he came home and said, Well, how come you didn't make chicken today? He's <laughs> such abuse. I can't <laughs> make this anymore. Brother <laughs> <laughs> said, you know, like don't take me into your situation. <laughs> Seek a counselor first of all. Seek a counselor because this one line you said to me does not represent your situation. Your situation is a lot more complicated than this, and it's making you know you know why these questions are important. Not so I can just you know dodge them, but it makes you realize how many of us need this stuff, man. How many counselors are needed? There's a serious need of deal. We want to serve the Olam, we become a counselor. This is a really important. And by the way, don't become a counselor if you don't have a tough like tough heart. If you're like the sensitive type, don't become a counselor. <laughs> You'll be crying more than the guy who counselor. <laughs> <laughs> They're not helping well. <laughs> like, I got this <laughs> <laughs> <you> issue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
4: <laughs>
0: okay, this question is being a serious issue. This question is being asked by someone who was in an abusive marriage and is now struggling, a, a struggling single mother. I know that Allah has blessed me in so many ways, but I can't help but feeling so sad that I thought I did everything right before marriage, and I still ended up like this. How can I battle these thoughts? I haven't prayed in so long. You need to start praying, and you need to start thinking that Allah put you in such a tough marriage, and you survived it. And Allah, and there are so many people who would not have survived that. And Allah does not put anybody in a test that they can't handle. That, that marriage that you passed, and that, that huge mountain that you crossed and scale, is a testimony to your strength. You shouldn't be sad about that. You should be grateful to Allah that He made you stronger. And you can deal with any problem in life now because you passed through the hard part already. You should be optimistic. The clouds are gone, the sun is shining now. This is what you should be grateful about. And you did everything right. That's not... So why didn't things work out around you? Look, that is not how the world works. You can do everything right and nothing will go your way. There's no formula in Islam or by Allah's design that you do your part and everybody else will do their part. That would be... Uh, uh, an ideal world. You know, we don't live in an ideal world. The messengers did their part, but they weren't depressed after 10 years or 900 years of preaching and saying nobody's listening. No, they kept on going, because Allah said, you just do your part, don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about anybody else. The Prophet would give his footballs, his talks, nobody's going to give a better lecture than the Prophet. Nobody listens. Can you imagine? Nobody listens. And Allah gives him a lecture then. Allah gives his messenger a lecture. Just a you just remind, you're just there to remind. Don't worry about what people do or not, you just do your part. That's not people say that. You're not in control over them. Allah to ask you about what they did, I'll ask you about what you did. Allah will ask you about how you handle the situation. And wallahi, if Allah has given you that strength, and you've, you've recuperated from it, stop blaming Allah for what happened. Turn to Allah and be grateful that you are out of it, that your children are now in a, in a better situation than they, than they would have been otherwise. May, may, may Allah Azawajal take that suffering that you had and make it a means of forgiveness for all the sins that you've had in your life and make that a means of barakah in the lives of your children. You know? But really use that as an experience to get closer to Allah. Azawajal. And it doesn't matter if you've prayed so long, tonight we'll pray. Is a marriage done without a girl's consent valid? Fifth question, but it should have the girls' consent. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> مَا Jid? Seriously? Ma'wal uh, Khan, uh, okay. Yeah, so sadness that we have. We have. I can't read your handwriting Okay Okay. <laughs> al <laughs> okay. Okay. October. Uh, okay. How much time do I have? It's, over. it's over. No. It's over. Keep going. Okay. Last question, Brother, now. <laughs> 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 I am. I am a student attending high school. I'm very, very interested in the baylah dream. Can you please give me some suggestions as to how I can raise the money I will need for the studies. (laughs) JazakAllah, may Allah bless you. If you're really, really interested in dream, don't worry about the money, it'll come. What you need to worry about is memorization of Qur'an. Don't even think about the dream program. If you haven't memorized silaqah, at least... That you're, and you're reading like a pro. I'm not saying to read, but you don't stop on any letter. Your reading is flawless. And by, by after next year, because you're still in high school, after next year, I'm not going to lower, but raise the requirements for joining the dream program. So you will have to have at least a hundred hours of Arabic study off of one of our resources online completed before you come. So when you come, I turn you into a monster. So I will not. I don't want to take like mediocre students. I want to take top-notch students. And beat them into shape. That's what I want to do. This is not... This right here is Brother Nat. Back on campus is Ustad Nu'mal. Ustad Nu'mal is a tyrannical ruler. (laughs) There are students that cry in my class. And it's not because it's a spiritual experience. I I, I, I beat this stuff into people. There are people that drop out of the program because they can't take the intensity. There are. There are people that cry and come and meet with me, and Christ. too much, I can't do it.
4: And
0: I said, you will take it, and you will go on, tough enough, to get out of here. Do that to them. Because that's what I want. I want tough students that have serious work ethic, and inshallah ta'ala, if you have good intentions, there will be plenty of people ready to sponsor you, and come. Virtually all, a good number of the students I've had come from New York City, somebody sponsored them. If you don't find a sponsor, I can't promise you, but I can help find sponsors in the New York area for you. A couple of people actually even already approached me and said they're interested in sponsoring students. But I said I will only, you know, uh, validate that request if it comes after a lot of, you know, the the applicant passes through a lot of filters. The dream program is not going to be fun. I'm not here to advertise it for you. But if you're serious about Arabic studies, then consider it. And it's not going to be fun. It's not, gonna, like, it's not like you're going to be going abroad. Because when you go abroad, you can go into an institute, you're not doing well, Drop out, get a private tutor, that's not working out, go somewhere else, try another institute, and have tawwa and tawwa most of the time, and chill and come back and say, ta'ala al That's not going to happen at the dream program. I kick people out of the program when they don't do their homework. I kick people out. I'm a, I'm a, there's a drill sergeant approach. So if you're very, very serious about Arabic studies, you're more than welcome and I would be proud of you. But if you're not, then don't think, don't dream about the new program. do do it. Go do it to yourself. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I, I will tell you this, just, I mean, it's depressing, but I, but I will encourage you with one thing. The students that come out, the students that come out, especially now that I've made it tougher and that graduate by, by my expectations, Wallahi, when they sit there and they read a tafsir a book, or they read an era'ah book, and they're just reading to me, I cry inside, like, oh, I'm so happy. Ya Allah, just make, put barakah in. I made du'a with these students when they're reading. Because, they, I mean, just I knew this kid four months ago, and he didn't know a word. And now he's reading an Arabic tafsir. And he's explaining it to me in Arabic. And I'm just sitting there listening, going, wow. This, this is Testimonial and Judgment Day right here. This guy, you know? But then I, then I that's all inside. Then outside I yell at him. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I do it. Okay. So that was the last question. Time is up. I really, really enjoyed coming here, alhamdulillah. Thank you Queen Zemissi like for putting this together. Uh, I'm going to save all of these questions uh, and I'm going to try to read through all of them, inshallah. And they will actually probably help inform my future talks and fudba. because i like to give fudbas relevant to what people's concerns are. So I'll look at these carefully, inshallah. Even if I didn't get to answer your questions, maybe it will show up on YouTube.
1: Thank Guys, so please, please stay in your seats, actually. We need to be careful in how we let people out. There's... Please, like, just, just sit down for two seconds. <clears throat> people... hey, hey, hey. Guys, I know you're Muslim. <laughs>
0: it's okay.
1: The people at the back, they need to exit first, so the sisters from the back can exit. And the people over here, they need to make room, if they want to to exit, please exit. If they don't want to exit, please make room for people to exit. With that being said, brother... Okay, after
0: activity, can I make two announcements? Sure, sure. Okay, two announcements, guys, that's all I'm going to do. Two announcements, I promise. One announcement is my dear friend and teacher, Sheikh Abdul Nasir, is coming with the Meaningful Prayer Course to New York, uh, and he's coming April 14th, April 12th, uh, to NYU, Islamic Center NYU. So if you guys can catch that, I would appreciate that. I think it's a really beneficial course for your prayers and understanding what you say in Salat. And the second important announcement that I'd really like to try to check out is Bayyina.tv. TV. Okay, it's a, it's a website where I've put a translation of the entire Quran in video. I'll also put the Arabic classes I teach my daughter. I teach in 15 minutes of Arabic a day. we am putting those up on Bainadaar TV. So check those URLs out, inshallah, I can read you. There's some sample videos out there too. I appreciate that. Once again, bayina.tv. TV. Thank you so much.
1: Before we end the, the event, I'd like to present Brother Nomad with a, a few gifts. We got for him... To- games for his, for his daughter so they won't come at him with uh, sick stomachs too often so hopefully that, that helps out and again like when it comes to the exit process please brothers in the back leave so the sisters can leave leave seriously like go get out and the brothers in the front please leave and exit so the sisters can leave sisters I'm sure have to leave like it's, it's, it's more for them to leave right now you not
4: like yeah. you Thank yeah. you. Yeah.